0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. I'm going to start counting them. And so you're 1, 2, 45, 46, and the cars are going by. And this is what I knew was happening the day that Jesus was saying he was going to forgive my sins. I knew I had a truckload of incredible sin in my life, and He was willing to pay the price so that I could be clean, so that I could be without sin, so I could get back in the presence of God and be washed. And so that journey started with a challenge. I said, God, I know sin offends you, And because it offends you, I will tell you I'm sorry. But it doesn't offend me, and I don't feel it's wrong, and I feel it's right, and I'm having a good time, and it feels good, and everything that sin is, I like. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you I said, for me, sinning is like oxygen. I need it to breathe. I couldn't imagine living on the earth without engaging in everything that was attractive, everything that was fun. Well, now I'm 44 and I've seen that the wages of sin is destruction. I've seen there, I've been there when a 14-year-old girl is having a baby and her boyfriend's no longer there. I've been there and seen the results of sin. A plastic surgeon who goes out on one night for happy hour and gets a, bartend, a, a receptionist pregnant, and then he leaves like if nothing happens, because it was happy hour, it was one night. And he leaves like if nothing happened. But 15 years later, he gets a letter from a 15-year-old boy saying, where is my dad? Where's my dad? Or was it a joke that you brought me into this world while you were having fun at happy hour, and that is the consequences of 15 years without a father? And so when he gets those... and I'm, I'm his attorney at the time, and, and I said, you know something, maybe she had sex with someone else at another happy hour. Because if she had sex with you on the first night she met you, I'm sure she must have had sex with other people. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe the baby's not yours, the 15-year-old boy. And so let's go do a DNA test. And he goes off to do a DNA test, and it comes back three weeks later, and it says 99.9% you're the father. And so there's no margin of error here. It's minuscule. He knew he was the dad. He says, when we got the results, he says, what do I do? I said, when you walk into the courtroom and your son is there, and your wife, your your, girlfriend, your happy hour little friend is there, and you see your son for the first time, you're going to run up to him So fast and with the biggest smile on your face and you're going to hug him and you're going to begin to kiss him on the cheek and on the head. And you're going to say you're the most beautiful son I could have ever dreamed of having. Because that will be what what he's waiting for to be acknowledged by you for the first time in his life. Because of sin. Because a moment of not keeping the ways of the Lord. I used to tell God, what's wrong with fornication? I didn't understand it. I knew what's wrong with adultery. You take off with somebody who's not your wife. You take off with somebody else's husband. So adultery is taking that which is yours. But fornication, I didn't understand it. Two people that agree, two people that consider people that are old enough, people that know what they want. If they have sex, what's wrong with it? And the Lord says there's no commitment there. They haven't committed to a covenant relationship. So as soon as they have problems... That little interchange of sex becomes a problem and an issue, sometimes creating abortion, the killing of an unborn. Sometimes it's, it's an unwed mother. Sometimes it's a, a, a fatherless, a, a neglecting father. Just a, just a mess, a chaotic situation. And then I said, Lord, you are awesome. Thank you for teaching me that fornication is not yours. Thank you for teaching me in the ways of righteousness. So in this whole scenario, the scenario becomes that Jesus is there on the day, and this is why it's celebrated around the world. And you might not celebrate. You might think it's a day to go to spring break and go to the beach. But how awesome it is that on the week that he took the way of suffering, that this church would be packed out. People taking a time out and saying, I'm going to go remember what God did for me. Everybody loves a victory. Everybody likes a party. Everybody's going to be here on Sunday. Everybody's going to be next to you when there's no troubles, when there's celebration, when there's Coke, when there's candy. But who's there in the time of suffering considering how incredible Jesus Christ went through the most excruciating pain known to man? Not for himself, not because he was guilty, not because he, he was experienced in suffering. He did it for you and I. So... Tonight, I just want to meditate and I want to pray. And I want you to see not what Jesus is doing before when they're accusing him, not when he goes to trial, not when his friends betray him and they run away and everybody abandons him, not when he quits, not when he says, I can call 10,000 angels and put a stop to this right now and just forget about eternal salvation for man. But he says no. No. He says, with ever increasing pain and suffering, he continued further to that point that they nailed him to a cross. And we're just going to take a snapshot tonight of his heart in the depth of his suffering. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for bringing us to the house of the Lord. What an incredible, awesome place you've created for us to consider these things. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for not understanding and bringing us into understanding. We thank you for being lost and now being found. We thank you for being rebellious and now being obedient. We thank you, Lord, for a way of blessing, a way of peace, a way of of a future and a hope, a way of your hand to be on our lives all the way, Lord. And you paid an awesome price, and we're here tonight, Lord, to meditate on these things and to further these things in our hearts so that our relationship with you is not superficial and vain and fake, But deep, solid, and tight, we want to honor you and love you and serve you all the days of our lives. And though many may forsake you, and many may take this as a joke and as a religious experience, but we're here tonight, Lord, because you said it's not good that we remain away from gathering. Many have accustomed themselves to not gathering, to coming to church. But you said all the more as you say the day you see the day of the Lord approaching, Lord. You know where we want to be on the day of your return? Right here in your house. In the place you have provided for us to be under your covering and in your presence. So tonight, these words, let them be transforming. Let your spirit do a work reminding us the depth of the payment you paid for our salvation. Give us your heart. And we want to be like you. We want to please you in all things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is on the cross, and the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the first words out of his mouth, our Father, forgive them. Listen to me. If it doesn't start here, we don't have a chance. If, If it doesn't start with Jesus wiping away our sin, we do not have a chance. And it's not a forgiveness of a moment. It's a forgiveness of a lifetime. People say, Why are you so intense? I'll tell you why. Because to whom much is forgiven, he loves much. When you start considering that we have in Christ, every time you sin, the possibility to come before the lord it says in 1 john chapter 1 verse 7 if we confess our sins he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us let me tell you something i take showers all the time i wash with my hair i use shampoo i use soap but there's something that has a more powerful effect in my heart and it's the blood of jesus it's the power of forgiveness That I could do something wrong and come before his presence and he wipes it away. All guilt and shame is gone. Time and time and time again. I used to feel guilty. I used to say, Lord, you know how much blood I've used? You imagine? And I take it serious. I don't go around sinning on purpose. I don't go around using his blood just as a joke. I used to say, Lord, I need blood. I need more blood. I need some more forgiveness. I messed up again. And every time, he forgives. Powerful. Powerful that we have the forgiveness of sin. He says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Never could the devil point at you and say you messed up too bad. Because when he does, you point at the cross. And in that relationship, the more I sin, the more he forgives. The more I love, the more incredible. He says these words, he says, you know something, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Sometimes we don't even have a consciousness of what we're doing wrong. It's called ignorance and it's fine. He understands it. I'm sure And I've always explained people and says, you know something, this is what you've done that is wrong. And they say, I didn't know. But the central theme of the message of God to this world is I forgive you. That's the central theme. It's the first thing on his heart. Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. I think that's awesome. I think that makes a healthy Christian. Because the devil will condemn you and he'll tell you, you messed up so bad, you're never going to be forgiven. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's what he wants to lodge in your spirit so that you could then walk away and forgive and feel condemned and feel that you're not worthy. I've seen God forgive homosexuals. I've seen God forgive pedophiles. I've seen God forgive prostitutes. I've seen God forgive gang leaders. I've seen God forgive transvestites. I've seen God forgive the most crazy sin in the world. A friend of mine He says like this, I murdered five people. I was a hitman for the mob. And I had a hit to go kill this one man. And when I showed up at his house, four of his friends were there and I can't go back and I have to kill all of them. So he kills five people. And he shoots one, he shoots the other. He's just shooting them all in the head. And as soon as he finished the last one, he hears the words, I still love you. Who could love a guy who assassinates five people? Maybe you forgive him some years down the road, but right there on the spot, that's the love of God. And don't you ever forget it. It far surpasses anybody. It far surpasses the sin. There's one guy came from Cuba, and I said, so how do people, the young?" because he was the president of all the Christian young people in Cuba. And I asked him, how do people feel about Fidel Castro? He says, you know something? Fidel Castro is an agent of hell. He's Satan's puppet. He has no forgiveness of sin. He has no forgiveness of sin. He's done so much harm and so much wrong. He's gone far beyond God's capacity to save. So we won't preach to him the gospel. I said, you know something? You're preaching a false gospel. Because my God forgives all sins. My God forgives all people. And if you don't understand that, you don't know what Jesus did on the cross. And if you're preaching the gospel that there's only so much that you could forgive, you haven't known God. Because God is standing prepared, desiring that no man should perish, but that all should turn and come back to him so he could forgive them their sins. He's poured out the the significant provision of God. And so that gives us the clarity. It doesn't matter. Because the devil will use the lack of forgiveness to cause people to run away from God. And so I can sit before any man with any sin and know that there's good news. There's great news. He says like this. He says, let's come to an account with each other in Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 18. He says, hey, why don't we settle accounts? Let's reason together. Let's come to the table. Because though your sins are red as scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, I'm going to make you white like wool. This is the message that allows us to come into the kingdom of God. This is the message that brought me into the kingdom of God. It's powerful. Peter had a problem with forgiveness. He says, okay, I'm prepared to forgive. Teach me how many times. You know, I'll forgive this guy once. I'll forgive him twice. You know what? I'll forgive him one day each day of the week, seven times. And so he says these words. He says, hey, Jesus, when am I to forgive? Matthew 18, 21. When should I forgive? And he's prepared and gives Jesus an answer. How many try to answer questions that you ask the Lord? You ask him and then you have the answer? You get prepared for God to say like this. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother in the sins that he commits against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. What's Jesus say? Verse 23. 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. That wasn't my answer. That was your religious answer. That's you because you get fed up with people. I want to tell you, Jesus doesn't get fed up with people. Jesus loves people, and he says the weaker they are, the stronger he makes them. The more more disaster they are, the higher he lifts them up. It's a powerful thing what forgiveness does. It acts like you've never even sinned. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I will throw your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Peter, if you're going to hang out with me, you're going to have to learn that this is forgiveness on steroids. Seventy times seven. As many times as you'll forget, 490 times a day, I don't think anybody has ever offended me that many times. Almost saying, every time somebody offends you, you be prepared to forgive them like I have. They said, teach us how to pray. What did he include in that prayer? Father... Forgive their trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you taste of the forgiveness of the Lord. And then when you're offended, you don't forgive. He says you will not enter into the kingdom of God if you cannot forgive those who offend you. It's a requirement. When he's sitting there at the Last Supper and he's telling them he's about to leave, he reminds them that the cup that they're drinking... The invitation that he's invited them to in Matthew 26, 27, he says, This is the covenant in my blood that shall be poured out for many people. Verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed. My my blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins, for the wiping out of sins. Not just some people, not just religious people, the whole world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel we must preach to all people at all times. When the paralytic and the lame and the sick came up to him, he says, your sins be forgiven you. When the adulteress came up, he says, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. When he's resurrected from the dead, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20, verse 22. He says, now I want you to go, and whoever sins you retain, they shall be retained. Verse 23. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. But if you hold the sins of any, you're keeping them. You know what happens when you keep the sins? They stay with you. Ed Cole says to a young girl, don't hold anything against your parents because when you hold their sins against them, you're going to grow up just to be like who? Your mom. Met a guy yesterday. He says, I'll never forgive my dad. I, had a, I was having lunch with him. He says, I'll never forgive my dad. He abandoned me when I was a child, never wanted to see me, never came to visit me. When I tried to go see him, he left to another city. And I held that in my heart against him until I was age 50 And when I was the age 50, somebody talked to me about releasing that sin. He says, as soon as I released that sin, everything in heaven turned around and I began to prosper. And he's one of the wealthiest men here in Miami today because he forgave his father. It's powerful what forgiveness does. And that's the first thing Jesus said when he was on the cross. Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So I don't know what's going on in your life tonight, but I want to tell you, you're forgiven even before you ask for forgiveness he stands prepared to clean the slate and to wash. Come settle accounts with God. Anyone, time, anything, any place. That's the message of the gospel. That's the single most important teaching in the entire Bible. That he came to forgive those who had transgressed. Second word he says, up there on the cross. I don't know if you are sitting there nailed to a cross in the midst of... Of suffering and your first thought is, okay, i got to release these people because they really don't know what they're doing. Is that your first thought when you're offended? Father, forgive them. They're stupid. I'm sorry. They don't know what they're doing. It should be because Jesus is in your heart. And in the midst of suffering, you become like Jesus when you're able to forgive others even when they have not even asked for forgiveness. And give the God the time to do a work that's excellent. Instead of you growing bitter, you get better when you're able to do that. You continue with a smile in your face. You continue with the purity of heart. You get rid of migraines and ulcers like that. You just release people that have done things. Second word found there in Luke 23, 43, he says, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the second thing that Jesus says. What is going on here? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is always thinking about others and not himself. The heart of a real Christian is that you're looking for the interest of those around and not selfish. He was teaching denial of self. He was teaching that it was important to, to, to reach out to the lost. And there, right next to him, he had two thieves. And he's not telling them, hey boys, the time is up. I preached the gospel while I was walking around, but now I'm a little busy. I can't take your call. Isn't that powerful that Jesus is always ready to take our call? Isn't it powerful that he's always able to interchange with a sinner? He wants to dislodge those that are carrying guilt and carrying shame. I don't know the thoughts that were going through this man's heart as he was hanging there responsible. Listen to me. He was up there because of his own actions. And so he must have been thinking a thousand things, and Jesus is meeting him at the point of his despair. And he's concerned, and he tells the other criminal, Hey, this man has done nothing wrong. You and I are thieves and liars, and we've stolen, and we're derelict, and we are the scum of the earth. But this man has done no wrong. And he turns to Jesus, and he says... Jesus, remember me. He doesn't even say, let me in. He says, you know, have a thought my way. And Jesus goes an extra mile. He never gives you, listen to me. I've been walking with Jesus for 28 years. He never gives you what you ask him. It's always, always, always more way above and measures that make you go, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why didn't I think of that? I remember the other day, they went to go win the prizes for the Walt Disney, the annual, the annual thing. And I, I was excited. and I wanted to win the tickets for the annual pass. And there's a competition. They give you 10, ten bean bags. You have 17 seconds. And, and I said, my boys you are athletic. And I used to be athletic. And we're going we're gonna to win this thing. And I, I stand up. And I'm nervous. I, I don't want to play because I always lose at these things. And I'm going to feel bad. And I'm going to go. And I'm not going to go. And then, you know something, I go, bop, 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 bop. And the boys did it. We got the passes. And then I hear another brother went, and you know what he says? He says, Lord, take my hands, and you do it. When I heard that, I said, why didn't I pray? Why didn't I ask God for help? And a lot of times we don't ask God for help, so we don't get what God can do. We want to do it on our own. We want, we, you know, we, I, I was nervous. I was confused. I was already thinking I was going to lose so I was, but this guy said, Lord, my hands, they're yours. You do it. And so here, Jesus asks, this man says, remember me. He says, no, 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 not remember me, my friend. Today, I love that word. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Jesus, Jesus says, you're not going to be out there far. You're not going to be left over because of what you've done. No, 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 I'm going to clean up the house at levels that are going to make your head spin. So he's able to tell them, today, you're going to be not with uh, San Lázaro, Santa Barbara, you're not going to be out there somewhere, else. today with me. So, you know why? Because God loves humility. God loves repentance. God loves the attitude, not of the guy who says, hey, if you're God, I, that's, I don't know where that guy is. That's, you know, I don't know what's going on with that guy. But the other guy says, Lord, remember me. And he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. We're going to take care of business. He's doing the interchange that he's done since the beginning of time, calling men back to himself. And even on the cross, he's calling out to somebody to come home. You know what? He defends Jesus, the criminal. He says, this man has done no wrong. I want to tell you that that there's, there's an element, and you might not know this, but as a criminal lawyer, and, and as a guy who's been around a lot of prisons and jails, if there's anyone who knows and has dirt on somebody, it's a criminal. They, they know the cheese. They, they know what's going on. when nobody, You're like, hey, everything's okay. And the criminal's like there. He's like masterminding. He, he could see the picture. And so these guys knew about Jesus. And if there's one thing they knew about Jesus is that he didn't belong there. And he says, this man's done nothing wrong. To He doesn't deserve to be up here. You and I are bad. We're street smart. We know the inside scoop. No one knows what's going on behind the scenes better than a criminal, a con artist. He's always playing people. And in the depth of their craziness, they acknowledge that Jesus was there, not because of anything he had done. And he's there not concerned about himself saying, listen to me, you had an opportunity to hear me while I was preaching on the streets. It's too late now. No, he turned to him and he gave that guy some incredible enthusiasm to look forward to. He's a specialist at doing this. If you ever take any problem to Jesus, man, he'll handle it. He'll give you the answer. He has the answer to all your questions. He's always answered all my questions. I've had some crazy questions, but he's always answered them And he's really impressed me with how he makes a way when there's no way. How he opens a door when all doors are shut. How he gives you a stream in the middle of a desert. It's always amazing that when I think there's no way out, Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. And every time you go to him, you could follow him on the way out to an incredible place. The third word that he speaks up on the cross is after he talks to the thief. He's already taken care of forgiveness. He's already taken care of the sinner of the lost. They're, they're close to his heart. He wishes no one would perish. No one would be destroyed. No one would suffer. And then the third word is he turns and he says to John the disciple. He says, this is found in John 19.26. He looks down to his mom who's at the foot of the cross. And he's concerned about her because he's the oldest son. And he cares for mom. If you don't care about mom... You don't care about anybody. You want to know why? Because mom brought you into this world. That's my mom. She brought me into this world. I live passionately to be able to honor her. I live passionately to be able to fulfill her heart's desire with my life. And Jesus, too. And he's on the cross And he could be taking care of a thousand businesses, but he's taking care, say with me, family. If you don't care about family, you don't care about anything. If you don't care about family, you don't belong to God. Hyper-selfishness doesn't care about family. But Jesus is there on the cross, and he's thinking about mom, and he says these words. When Jesus therefore saw his mom, and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing by... If you love God, you love what God loves. And since John loved God, he was standing there right by his mom, concerned about what Jesus was concerned about. And he said to him, to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Aren't those powerful words? In verse 27, then he says to the disciple, he says, Behold your mother. And from that time forward, he took her to his own home. And he says, I got to take care of the family God has given me. Because if I don't care about the family God has given me, how am I going to care about a family that's coming in the future? I told a young man about 20 years ago, this woman doesn't care about family. He says, I don't care. She's good looking. This woman doesn't care about family. He goes, I don't care, man. I'm, I'm growing crazy. How sad it is now that she has a 10-year-old boy and a 12-year-old boy when she decided to leave the family for another man. How horrible my friend is that I told him that was going to happen, and 15 years later, he's living that nightmare. That mom who was there at the birth and was able to give forth birth to Jesus, she was there at the wedding of Canaan, and she was telling him, do everything my son says. She was there at the foot of the cross, being pierced in her heart, right next to her son. And she was there at the upper room, being filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. That was awesome that Jesus taught us that family comes first. Proverbs 20, 20 says, he who curses his mom and doesn't listen to dad, he says their light will be put out in utter darkness. I don't know what utter darkness means, but I don't want to go there. It's like driving a car without headlights. You're going over a cliff, you just don't know it. You're going to hit a brick wall. You just don't know it. He who curses his father, he who despises his mother, can't see, has no vision. Sounds like Samson. Sounds like a prince being tied up and taken to be mocked as a fool. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The person that doesn't love family will cause shame will be the result of bringing shame. It says the rod and the rebuke to be corrected will give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Proverbs 19.26, it says that shame will be the consequence. Shameful is the son. He who mistreats his father and chases his mother away. shut up, leave me alone, is a son who causes shame and he will wear reproach. I mean, this is powerful that Jesus is up on the cross and he's considering somebody to take care of family. I hope you're taking care of your family. I hope you're honoring those that God has given you as parents. I hope you get the reward of the wise and not the reproach of the fool. The fourth word Jesus says is not only about family, and we've become experts at family. We love family. We build family. I went to the youth group, and I started passing out these cards. I go to the heat game. I start passing out the cards. I meet with couples all day long, seeing the destruction of those who have not built a solid foundation for family. Have you ever seen and been in an earthquake and see everything come down? That's what happens when you don't have a right foundation. Jesus says a family that's divided will never prosper. The fourth word he says up on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words always bothered me. I said, how could God in the moment of Jesus' greatest distress bail out and leave him alone? So for 15 years I had a problem with that. I was like, "God is," the, He says, I'll never leave you nor will I forsake you. And God's not a liar. And then I recall... A pastor telling me that Jesus used to be in the choir, in the synagogue. He used to be something called the cantor. He had to memorize all the Psalms by heart. He had to sing and lead the people in the songs of God, in the temple of God as a child. It was a requisite before you became a rabbi that you would be a cantor. That you would serve in the capacity under a rabbi, leading the portion of scripture where you open up to the hymns and you sing the hymns. And all of a sudden, I see that Psalm 22 is a song that begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross having a good time. He lives according to his teaching. Count it all joy when you enter into diverse trials. Yeah, he's in the midst of, of, of trial and affliction and hardship, but he's counting it all joy. He's singing a song to the Lord. They heard him say, my father... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the beginning of the song. And the song ends, you would never forsake your people. You would never leave those whom you love. He says, uh, various verses there in that psalm are so powerful. And you'll see what it says in in, uh, verse 16 and 17. He says, even though they have pierced my hands and my feet and have numbered all my bones. I count all my bones and they look and they stare at me. This was King David writing a song of a prophetic vision of what was to happen to Christ. In verse 18, he says, Even my clothes, my garments, they divided amongst themselves, gambling for my my garments. He was there naked. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it powerful that the Lord is is relating what he knew was going to be his reality? Was relating... What what God would do in his life. And there in verse, I'm going to show you real quick, verse 21, when he says, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horn of the wild ox." you've answered me. God's never going to forsake you. God's never going to leave you. God's going to answer you in the moment of your most desperate situation so you could be at peace in front of all your enemies. You could be there and knowing that God is going to, Walk with you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God's there. I've gone through a lot of trials in my life, and I continue to hear God saying, Hey, mister, I promised that I would be next to you. And I said, Okay, just as long as you're next to me, just as long as you're here, I'm willing to go through suffering. Just as long as you you embrace me. There's no better feeling than the embrace of Christ. Being in his presence, the Bible says, is a place of full joy. And in that place, Jesus Christ was being taken care of, of the Father. The fifth word he spoke up there in the cross was, I thirst. I think it's powerful that not not only is he thirsting, this is the fifth word, word. Remember, there's seven, two more. The fifth word was, I'm thirsty. And I don't know if you have ever been thirsty, if you ever had lack of something that's missing that you're yearning for. And you could be thirsty, For nutrients and water, you could be thirsting for um, not being lonely, for companionship. You could be thirsty for a lot of things. But Jesus Christ says, I will satisfy your thirst. He goes to the Samaritan woman and says, you will never thirst again when I give you water. Whatever you're yearning for, I'm the source. Whatever's going on in your life, let it come from me. Oh, how horrible it is for us to go get our own things. How many say amen? How horrible it is for us to vest our own garments. The fig leaves that Adam and Eve covered their nakedness with. He says, no. Here's some skins. Cover yourself with something better. Are you prepared to let Jesus cover you? There's nothing worse than being naked and having lack and feeling that there's no provision. Feeling that you're taking advantage of because the Bible says they gambled his garments away. You feel that maybe somebody gambled your garments away. You should have been vested with the glory of God's honor and dignity and truth. And somebody stripped you of all that. And you feel shamed. Can you realize that as he's calling out for water, you know what they brought him, White. Right? Does anybody know what they brought him? They brought him vinegar, man. This is what the world does. If you you go asking the world for what they can give you, man, it's going to be a bitter taste. If your expectation is from anybody but the Lord, you're going to be let down. You're going to suffer some horrible experiences. They gave him bitterness to drink. You know why they did that? Does anybody want to tell me why? why this portion of Scripture? See, everything Jesus did was to teach us. And when he says he was thirsty and they gave him something bitter to drink, this was the perfect opportunity to spit it out and call that person all the names in the book. I mean, This, this is not a time to play around and yet they're playing with him. This is not a time to, to do things that are inappropriate and they're doing so. And you know what happens when they do that? See, all hits in life Brings out what's inside. They gave him at a moment where he's desperately thirsty. They give him something bitter to drink. And that was the perfect opportunity to just lash out and show the revenge, the the getting back. They're going to pay for this. I'm going to get even. And Jesus is showing us a way. When somebody gives you a bitter drink, what are you supposed to do? Allow it to be the opportunity for sweetness to come out. Who is sweetness? Jesus. That's why Jesus needs to be built on the inside of us. I don't know if I'm prepared to have somebody play this joke on me. God help us. The Bible says that everything he went through was in order for us to model his example. The sixth word he did up on the cross, he spoke. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, I passed the test. It is finished. This was the last straw. This this would have really got me to choke somebody. This would have been the occasion to, the work of God is perfect. I I allowed God to do a perfect work in my spirit. You that remember who Bradley Stewart is, you remember what he said? He grew up as a child and he had brain damage. He had cerebral palsy. A paralyzed aspects of the brain that caused him to walk with, with jerking and all sorts of agitation. It looked like a spastic individual. When he got to school, all the kids began to make fun of him because he couldn't talk, he couldn't walk. You just imagine him, his first day of school, he wants to be there, and everybody's like, ah, look, ah, and they're just making fun of every defect. And you know what he says? He was eight, seven years old. He says, I decided that moment it didn't matter what they did to me. I was going to be a sweet man. That freaked me out. They've done worse things. I remember the first day I went to the bus stop. They look down at my feet. They see me. I have wide feet. And they say, oh, he has six toes. I was like, I'm not going to school no more. I, don't, I want to go home. They're making fun of me. It's my first day of school. And people are making fun of my feet. And so a lifetime uh, for some of us has been just, just an onslaught of all the bitter drink when we're thirsty for acceptance. And he says, it is finished. And I hope that you allow Christ to finish the work in your life. Now I hope you're able... See, the first words that are recorded in the Bible that Jesus ever spoke in his incarnate state was when he got lost as a child and he told his parents, it's, I must be about my father's work. Those are the first words he spoke. And the last words he spoke was, it's finished. I did what dad wanted. I, got, I took care of business. What the Lord wanted with my life, that's what I gave him. I hope you're praying like that too. And you can say in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus had received the wine and he said, it's finished. He bowed his head and handed over his spirit. And then the last words he spoke, the seventh words that Jesus spoke was this one where it says in Luke 23, 46. With a loud voice. I can't wait. Listen to me. If, if there's anything that I desire, I think it's the Spirit of God that desires it in me, is for you to boldly proclaim the will of God. Hey, you know something? The devil has us intimidated. but To loudly lift up your voice and to be able to pray along the will of God. And he lifted up his voice super loud. And that's why it's so positive for us to confess the things of God, the will of God. With a loud voice, he said, Father, I transfer my life into your hands. I think that's a powerful prayer. Take and I commit to you, I entrust you with my spirit. You know that every man of God that has ever lived upon the earth, that has preached the gospel for real, These are the last words that they say before they die. That's what I want to say. I'm going to commit these to memory. I don't want any demon to get confused and say, come on over. Hey, you know something? You belong to me. They did that with Moses. Come on. He says, no way, my friend. The archangel rebuked those demons. Get your hands off this body. It belongs to the Lord. And that's what you want to happen. How horrible this young man who came to our church years ago. And we had talked to him about three times about cheating on his wife. And he never stopped. He would promise to to stop, and he kept on. He promised to stop came on. And then one night, finally, they got separated. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, he calls me. He says, Pastor. And he was hysterical. And he was was screaming. It was at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he says, Demons are taking me to hell. And I said, I don't know how you thought your sin didn't involve demons. Some of us think that when we sin and we rebel and we're disobedient, it's a game, it's a joke, we're just playing. Listen to me. You don't want to be a special delivery in the hands of demons. I used to tell my pastor, I said, Pastor, I, I want to love truth so much, but. Loving truth radically doesn't mean that I'm going to do things rebelliously. Because rebellion belongs in the kingdom of darkness. Rebellion is the fruit of the devil. That's what demons do, they rebel. And the line between that is so careful. Disobedience is rebellion, delayed disobedience is rebellion. I remember when Javier came to me, they had just murdered his mom. And he came to me, and I said, Javi, how old were you, Javi? 18 years old. And, and he comes to my house, and, and just imagine your mom being killed. And you'd be upset. You'd be frustrated. You'd be sad. You'll accuse God. Where were you? What happened? And I said, look, Javi, I know that what's happening to you is super out of control. But be careful that you don't take your reaction to go into the embrace of Satan. Be careful that you, in the midst of this crisis, that you don't understand what happened, that the devil doesn't say, come to Papa. Come come to me. You could cry on my shoulder. Because the only thing the devil wants with us is to kill us, to steal from us, and to destroy us. He's not going to pamper you. He'll ask you to come over. He'll ask you to take care of business. He'll tell you that God is not fair. But you want to make sure that at the end of your life, you're committing your spirit and your life into the hands of God, and that you do it with the boldness and the loudness uh, so that every spiritual atmosphere and everything that belongs to God is listening to to the cry of your passion. Let's ask the ushers to come forward. Our meditation tonight is based on this week of celebrating what Jesus did for us. Sad enough, there's not many people that are recounting these things. Sad enough that on Easter, everybody will come, and they'll want to be part of heaven. They'll want to be part of the victory of God. They'll want to be part of saying, Jesus, receive me. But if you don't understand what he did on the cross, I don't think there's much of a celebration. If you don't understand the price that has been paid, you can't rejoice. I want to show a little clip of the passion of the Christ before we participate in the Lord's Supper. And I want you to understand that when we participate with this table, it reminds us We're to do it in memory of what Jesus did on the cross. And we take this super serious because it brings not only judgment if you don't, but it brings life and peace when you do it right.